The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools, an investor seeking promising ag tech startups, or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. Yeah, I think a lot of it ties back to personal values, you know, that were inculcated in in me at a, at a young age. I think professionally, I definitely came at it a little bit more from a climate change and sustainability mm-hmm. lens, just reading about extreme drought conditions and water shortages and you know, that agriculture is the largest consumer of land on the planet and the largest consumer of fresh water and just all these other issues around environmental sustainability. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ag tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast, Season 5. Welcome back. If this is your first time listening, I'm sure you're in the right place. This is the one where we speak to fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. I'm your host, Harry Duran. I'm coming to you from uh, Minnesota, specifically Brainerd, Deerwood, northern Minnesota, parts of the state that are relatively new for me. I've only been a resident of Minnesota for probably about three years, and it's been fascinating as someone who grew up in New York and lived in L.A. and very familiar with big cities to acclimate myself to life that's lived at a more uh, slow down pace. <laughs> For me, it's, it's sometimes a little different. So I have the benefit of being up here by a lake and uh, wanted to make sure I got this episode out and share a little bit of what's been happening in my world. Also attended the PodFest conference in Orlando, and I'm actually looking forward to making time to get to the uh, indoor ag tech conference in New York City at the end of June. That's still 50-50, so if uh, you do see my face, then obviously I was able to make it, but I do have some uh, past guests and, and friends that are going to be attending. So given that my family's in Yonkers, I may actually try and see if I can make it there. So if I do, um, it'll be nice to connect with you. In case you missed last week's episode, I spoke with Vani Estes, VP of Innovation at the Produce Marketing Association. She's driven by a passion for agriculture, sustainability, and wanting to make an impact on serious issues such as climate change and broken supply chains, and we had a really fascinating discussion on all things plant pathology related, educating consumers on vertical farming, promoting diversity, well-received interview, and episodes, so make sure you check that out. 
This week I speak to Viraj Puri. He's the CEO of Gotham Greens. And Gotham Greens is on a mission to transform the way we approach our food system by growing greener foods in better ways. Through his work at the company, Viraj and his team have helped to build and operate sustainable greenhouses in cities across America. And today we dive deep into all things indoor farming, and we talk about why it's critical to educate a future workforce of engineers, scientists, and farmers to ensure its continued success. I always like to dig deep and uncover the inspiration for all these amazing guests that I have on the show as to what brought them to this point um, in their careers. And we talk about that with Viraj, with Gotham Greens, and how they're really doing great work revitalizing communities and innovating for a sustainable future, which is something that's been top of mind for me lately. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Okay, without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Viraj. So Viraj Puri, CEO of Gotham Greens, thank you so much for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thank you, Harry, for inviting me to be on the podcast and for your interest in, in Gotham Greens. Yeah, it's been interesting to see your growth and, and the fact that you've been in the space for such a long period of time. And, and there's probably lots of things that you've seen. I don't know, we're, we're new at the time when you just got started with Gotham Greens, but uh, just to, to orient the listener, where is home for you right now? New York City. Okay. That's where I live and work. And that's okay. where Gotham Greens was founded and has been headquartered in since 2009. So specifically Brooklyn, New York. Long time. And, and you are right. We were one of the early adopters and sort of pioneers of this new generation of, of indoor farming companies across North America. Did you, were you raised in New York? Did you grow up there? I did. I split my childhood between New York and Chicago and, and a few other places. Certainly did not grow up on a farm. I grew up in, <laughs> uh, in cities and in a few suburban areas at best. So agriculture was certainly very, very new to me. I grew up in Yonkers. I, I'm home is uh, Minneapolis now, but grew up in Yonkers, just outside New York City. So I was actually born in El Salvador, but came here when I was a year old. I say came here; my parents brought me here. <laughs> so the city has always been not only my backyard, but I lived there as soon as I had the opportunity to. So really have a, a strong connection to the city, and it's interesting to see how if you're just raised there, there's a different lifestyle. And, and I'm, I'm seeing that interesting juxtaposition being in the Midwest because my, my partner here would say like, how come you don't like, you're not as friendly or you don't say hi to strangers. And I'm like, when you grow up in the city, <laughs> it's just a different way of life. And I'm wondering if, if you've noticed that in your travels, if there's a certain way you carry yourself as a, a New York City native that you find uh, different than how people carry themselves when they're in other parts of the country or, or world. Look, New York is certainly a very unique place. It's it's the largest city in, in the U.S. It's the most cosmopolitan. It's the home to so many major industries, uh, finance, entertainment, media, fashion, other consumer products. So it, it's an exciting place to be. It attracts an enormous amount of resources, enormous amount of human talent. It certainly is, is a trendsetter in many ways. So when yeah. we set out to create a pilot scale indoor farming project, uh, we figured what better place to do it than in New York City. I mean, New York yeah. is clearly not an agricultural mecca, but uh, it is a city that, like I said, attracts a lot of capital, attracts resources, talent, media attention and focus. And we had so much conviction and continue to have so much conviction around uh, the value proposition for indoor farming as a major solution to many of the food systems issues that we face. 
So what better place to do it in, in New York City to really make an impact and publicize it and evangelize it and advance the mission of it. And I continue personally to be personally and professionally to be inspired by this city every day. It's people, it's culture, it's resiliency. It, it's a hustle though. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, <laughs> it a, it's, it's a hustle. It's not for everybody. Yeah. Uh, but look, I, our company now operates greenhouses in, in six states and I spend a lot of time in other states, Rhode Island, Illinois, Colorado, California. Um, we've just announced new projects in Georgia and Texas. So I travel a fair amount and each project, each location has to be tailored to its unique sort of geographical, economic, cultural context for sure. I'm not one of these people who you know believes that it's New York City or nothing. I, I see a lot of positive attributes and, you know, the, the kind of diversity of locations that we have across the United States. That's what makes our country amazing. I'm curious about uh, some of your background. Did you think when you were in college that you'd be <laughs> ending up working in, in vertical farming? Absolutely not. <laughs> Nowhere close to it. I mean, could not, I mean, if, if you had asked me to pick a thousand possible professions. I guarantee you that lettuce farmer would not be one of them. <laughs> so, uh, no, very circuitous path. Look, from a young age, I was always, even pre-college, I was always interested in in the natural world, in the environment, and through college, I started gravitating toward uh, you know this interest in clean technology, mm -hmm. broadly speaking, as a sector, because yeah. it was it would it was really meeting my personal and professional interests in, in using technology as a solution for so many of the world's uh, sort of complex uh, problems. I was really drawn to renewable energy at first. Mm. I spent the early part of my career working in, in that field. Yeah. Mobility was getting really, you know, interesting and exciting as city planning and making our cities more resource efficient. And it was really through a combination of environmental engineering and clean tech jobs, both in the U S and overseas that I sort of stumbled into controlled environment farming and uh, just became enamored with the technology, thought it was uh, a technology that had so much potential and that it had already been commercially proven in so many parts of the world, but it just yeah. wasn't being done on this uh, on meaningful scale, at least in the U S and it certainly wasn't being marketed to consumers and other stakeholders as this really compelling form of farming. And given sort of the, the interest in in New York City and in other places around more localized eating, more local supply chains, you know, these things were manifesting in like farmers markets, the popularity yeah. of farmers markets, right? You know, when I was when I was growing up, no one was like, oh, let's meet at the farmers market, right? But <laughs> but suddenly the Union Square farmers market in New York City was yeah. the best place to be, right? Or going into restaurants and seeing the name of farms on the actual menu. Yes. Right? This is all very new. Or, or, uh, or, or uh, hipsters in Brooklyn starting chick with chicken coops. And there you go. <laughs> you know, people are talking about beekeeping and, and it's suddenly hip and cool to be talking yeah. about a livestock, right? And, yeah. you know, your street cred in, in Brooklyn was enhanced, uh, you know, exponentially if, if you know... <laughs> If, 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 if you had a rooftop rooftop garden. Exactly. So I figured, you know, a great way to get popular is to become an urban farmer. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I was, we, we did recognize these, these consumer trends, right? So yeah. I think that's the important thing that we recognize. So, you know, one can obviously deploy technology, but then one has to also ensure that there is captive 
marketplace for those goods and services, right? And we felt like the time was right to launch a, a, a consumer-minded brand around local farming and specifically in controlled environment agriculture. So yeah, that was back in 2009 and it's, we've, we've come a long way, uh, yeah. you know, from one sort of rooftop greenhouse in Brooklyn to, you know, one of the largest, um, you know, indoor farming companies in North America. So it's been a really fun, fun journey. Any chance you happen to know someone by the name of Ben Flanner? Yes, I know Ben well. He started uh, Brooklyn Grange just around the same time that uh, we were starting Gotham Green. So yeah, yeah. our paths have crossed many times over the years. Um, really, a lot of the great work that they that they do over there. Um, what's really cool about, and you know, sometimes urban farming and vertical farming or indoor farming get used synonymously or interchangeably, but but they're really different, right? Because uh, controlled environment farming or indoor farming doesn't necessarily have to be urban, right? Yes. It tends to be, but it doesn't have to be, right? And urban farming doesn't have to be indoor, right? It can be, yeah. it can be outdoor, uh, yeah. it have to be vertical. And what Ben and his team have done, uh, in addition to commercial scale rooftop um, seasonal production that they do on their rooftops, they've really been able to host so many visitors and create this sort of agritourism component to urban farming and educate so many youngsters and adults alike on the benefits of, of urban farming, the, the services that it provides, uh, the built environment in terms of stormwater capture and, and creating pollinators and just making our cities more green, but yeah. also showcasing opportunities to improve diets and incorporate fruits and vegetables into more diets and create more healthy supply chains. And so that's what's really cool about urban farming, broadly speaking, is, is that it touches on so many different themes, socioeconomic themes, public health, environmental education, urban planning. And then of course, if you do it sort of the way we do it, it's, it's much more kind of commercial scale, meaningful amount of, of food production and supply chain transformation. So fun story before I, I got into the world of podcasting, I was in, um, I used to work at JP Morgan Chase and, and then E-Trade and Ben and I were coworkers. <laughs> so he was at working at each, we were in the E-Trade marketing department. And I remember he was like, Oh, he was telling the group, he's like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to Brooklyn. I'm going to start this like rooftop gardening. We're like, okay, like, good luck with that. And it's so funny, like, you know, because he just followed his passion, you know, and he just realized this was something that was really calling to him. Um, and it's so funny to just kind of see how it come full circle. And then me eventually making my way in a roundabout way into the connecting with the industry. And just, I actually haven't had a chance to reconnect with him. So it'll be fun when we have that conversation just to see how how uh, interesting paths our, our lives have taken. Definitely. That is a small world indeed. Yeah. So, um, so th we're talking 2009 and you, who were you looking to, or who was inspiring you? I know I want to hear your origin story about how you connected with Eric. So, you know, maybe 2008, what's happening in your world? Like that this is becoming front and center for you. And then talk a little bit about what that origin story looks like for, for Gotham. Yeah. So like I said, I had, I was working in environmental engineering. I'd worked on a, with a variety of firms, both in New York and overseas on various large scale, medium scale, small scale solar installation projects. Um, I was tinkering around with biodiesel. I was, I worked on a fuel efficient cook stove project in, in East Africa for about a year. I was building passive solar 
um, structures in, in a remote part of the Himalayas for a year. And I was getting ready to go to graduate school to get a degree and, and further my credentials and, and, and skill sets. And I started working at an environmental engineering firm in New York, and I got staffed on a small greenhouse project. It was a demonstration scale greenhouse, um, staffed as a project manager to help build something called the Science Barge, which featured a hydroponic greenhouse. And I was really interested in learning more about that technology and working with it. And it was while working there that I really saw the potential for larger scale hydroponic controlled environment agriculture uh, in in the U.S. And we were definitely at that time, even if it was sort of the mid mid early aughts, there definitely were some large scale tomato producing greenhouses that were already very established in many parts of the U.S. There were very few producers of leafy greens indoors. And we really saw an opportunity, um, Eric and I, who was our co-founder and now serves as our CFO, you know, both of them started to really explore the size of the market and explore the inefficiencies of the supply chain and how centralized the incumbent supply chain was and continues to be on the West Coast of the U.S., which requires all this you know, highly perishable product to be shipped yeah. thousands of miles to reach consumers. And just the inefficiencies of that supply chain were screaming to us that it was sort of ripe for, for transformation and ripe for disruption. And so we started tinkering around uh, with the business plan. I met our third partner in the business, uh, Jen Freimark, who is uh, you know, a globally renowned plant scientist and really an expert in hydroponics. Yeah, went through a very diligent process of building a business plan, building a case, and had just a lot of conviction in the idea. So I decided to forego graduate school, um, quit quit my job, and, and launched Gotham Green. So the, the first couple of years were challenging because we really wanted to do something in New York City for some of the reasons I mentioned earlier. I thought if we had limited resource to build um, a pilot scale project, then, then it really needed to be in New York, right? To really get the attention of retailers and restaurateurs and investors and the media uh, and the general public. And that hypothesis uh, did, did prove to be um, a good one and a true one. We, we got just global media attention for, for building this, this high-tech greenhouse on, on a rooftop in Brooklyn with you know, the entire Manhattan skyline sort of in the background, right? So we had film crews and every news station and front page article of the New York Times dining section and, and all the rest of it. So I, I do think that that really helped not only advance Gotham Greens, but frankly speaking, helped to advance uh, the entire sector more broadly speaking. And so we're really proud of, of that role that we've, we played and continue to play. So yeah, very unique origin story, but a really fun one. Any chance I'd be remiss if I didn't ask if you got to connect with Dixon Despommier? <laughs> well, of actually. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We met him early on, even before he had written his book. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, he had certainly been teaching vertical farming to some of his students um, and the concept and he had yeah. term. But yeah, I think I first met him in 2006. Wow. That was before he was sort of even, you know, known as the godfather. Of godfather, vertical. yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we go back a long way and I continue yeah. to be in touch with him. Since you were so ahead of the, the curve, and obviously there's been stories of people who also started, you know, at or a little bit later and did not have success and then subsequently folded. And then so as you were seeing companies coming up in the space, what were some of those early learnings that you had other than the, the you know, the, the tomato growers that you mentioned? Was there anyone else you could look to for inspiration or was a lot of this just really? using the experience the team had to, you know, f- figure this out as you go along. 
We definitely had people who inspired us, right? There's no doubt about it, right? We don't have the kind of hubris uh, or, you know, any sort of arrogance that we did this, you know, ourselves. But at the same time, there weren't a lot of examples to look at, right? The industry was so in such nascent stages, right? It was in such a nascent stage. It was so immature. A lot of the expertise we gleaned and came from overseas, frankly speaking, Mm, you know, spending time in Western Europe, uh, the Netherlands, other places that far further along in terms of commercial deployment of of indoor farming systems. We really relied on Jen and her network, some of her university connections, all the research and development that, that, that she had done and her teams have been doing. I mean, we were, look, we really we're building the plane as we were flying it, right? Yeah. I mean, we, there wasn't a lot of precedent. I mean, a lot of the big vendors even didn't want to work with us because they were like, you're not supposed to build a greenhouse on a rooftop, right? That makes no sense. And yeah. it's not going to work for a variety of reasons, right? So we have to find um, crazy enough partners who are willing to even embark on this journey with us. I remember getting permits and approvals was was next to impossible mm. uh, from, the, from the city of New York, yeah. the building department. Finding a company that would give us an insurance policy, uh, finding a <laughs> bank that would lend to us. Uh, it's 101 stuff, right? It's 101 stuff, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, and look, I, I have respect for all fellow entrepreneurs, right? I mean, yeah. it, it takes one to know one. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you just do not ever stop working, right? And yeah. so I have a, a lot of um, empathy and sympathy for all sorts of entrepreneurs. But, you know, if one just starts some sort of a business, like say a restaurant, Right, which is very hard business. Don't get me wrong. Ninety percent failure rate. Restaurants that come before you, right? So there is a playbook of sorts. Yeah. Right. This is who you get your supplies from. This is how you structure it. This is how you write the lease. This is how you finance it, etc., etc. This is how you write a job uh, description, right? But when it comes to building um, a commercial scale indoor farm in New York City, there was really no no blueprint to follow. So that made it really, really challenging, but it made it all that much more rewarding. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, we certainly would have done things differently. But I, look, I think I do think that that's been part of our success is that we've we had to learn a lot as we went along, and it really forced us to walk before running and really just figure out how to make the greenhouse profitable, how to make it sustainable, how to ensure very reliable, consistent crop yields how to create sort of good worker welfare standards and, and all these sorts of things, I think really helped us um, over the, over the, over the past decade. Anything, obviously hindsight 2020, but anything you would have done differently in those first few years, knowing what you know now? Yeah. I mean, well, so many things. Look, I think one of the, one of our biggest strengths is, is having um, a diverse team, right? The mm. fact that I have co-founders, the fact that, we have complementary skill sets. I think yeah. that's something that that's incredibly important. And um, with the benefit of hindsight, would have even brought on even more people early on. I mean, we were also naturally, you know, we were resource constrained, right? So we yeah. couldn't go out and necessarily hire all the great talent that we would have wanted to have hired. And I think in hindsight, maybe we would have stretched more to bring in more sort of personnel. I mean, I, look, I think scale is definitely something that with hindsight, we would have made the facilities bigger. But again, we were also resource constrained, right? So we built the greenhouse as big as we could make it, you know, 15,000 square feet, which is tiny in the scheme of uh, of agriculture. It was all we could afford, right? It's all the rooftop could accommodate. But literally within two months of opening, we were completely sold out of the right? The demand was, you know, 10 times that of what we were able to produce. And we were like, Man, this just took two years of our life to build this thing, and it's already at capacity. 
So I think with the benefit of hindsight, we would have probably made the facilities a little bit bigger. But again, there's pros and cons. And it really allowed us to hone in on our unit economics and our operating procedures and, and really how to you know, run a, run a very sustainable enterprise, which, which has served us well. I imagine also there's, you're hiring for jobs that previously didn't have like a job description, like you're creating jobs and, and, you know, because you're so early, because, you know, uh, you're sort of, you know, a, a bit of a pioneer in the space. It's not like all these people were out there doing these types of jobs that you were looking to, to fill. Like, I think some of them, it's almost like you were creating them as you were going along. Yes, certainly. That's certainly the case. And there was just a lot of people that we had to really convince to join Gotham Greens to come on to this journey with us. Uh, again, I think we we benefited from, uh, as we mentioned earlier, that that urban farming was kind of had this edginess to it and this yeah. hipness to it. So I think that certainly attracted some great people to the organization and and really this commitment to environmental sustainability also spoke to a lot of job applicants and and people who are still with us today. We were and continue to be a mission-driven organization that's deeply rooted in this ethos of trying to make the world a better place and to use fewer resources to to produce more food, to produce healthier food, to incorporate more plants and fruits and vegetables into into one's diets and to have making a positive impact in the communities in which we locate our facilities. So I think that resonated certainly with a lot of people. But I think, I think more broadly speaking, you are touching on a theme that I think is an important one, which is for this sector to really grow and thrive, certainly at the pace and the scale that we all, that we all want. You know, we are going to need a lot more skilled uh, personnel, right? Yeah. I think there is a dearth of, of technical talent that really has the combination of horticultural and engineering expertise that, that the mm-hmm. sector really requires. And there are so many companies now in our sector that are competing for very little talent, frankly speaking. And so we've been trying to spend time with various universities and research institutions and just really encouraging them to create more curriculum and create more undergraduate degrees and classes and graduate for that matter, but certainly undergraduate to teach people with, with, with the necessary skill sets to to immediately join a commercial scale indoor farming company. I do think that that is, um, you know, a real area of need and an area that that's very, very vital for this overall sector's uh, success. And a lot of people are trying to out automate, right. To say, Hey, well, we'll just, we'll just create a lot of automation. We'll create robots and conveyors and and all kinds of automated systems. But even those systems require you know, a fair amount of technical skill to to operate properly and uh, service and maintain to ensure that we're getting the intended or the yeah the intended outcomes and generating some sort of a return on investment. So again, could not be a bigger evangelist for this industry, but I do think you know kind of human resources and human capital is, is certainly a, a challenge for the industry right now collectively. And it seems like an opportunity for a conversation to happen, especially we, we had a brief opportunity to connect at Indoor AgCon. And I'm wondering, as some of these conferences come back online, if there's an, an opportunity for tracks or specifically conversations around education, resources, skill sets, trainings, I think all the things you just mentioned, if there's an opportunity there to just educate the need and just bring it up as an industry um, so people can start to continue to have these conversations. Yes, I would love to see more educational opportunities in these industry conferences. 
I, I think more tracks around actual technology know-how is really important. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a competitive aspect to it too. Yeah. People obviously want to keep a lot of their trade secrets to themselves. I, I think engaging more with the academic community is an important way to go about this as well. We we have a handful of land grant universities that have controlled environment agriculture programs, University of Arizona, Ohio State, Cornell, UC Davis, among others, you know, yeah. there's, there's more than just the ones that I named. And I think those faculty members and administrators are also seeing the amount of investment that is going into the sector globally, just broadly speaking in ag tech, right? But, yeah. but even more specifically into into indoor farming. So I think that's also signaling to them that this is a this is an industry that's growing and we need more more talent, right, to serve that industry. So we've we actually co-located one of our newest greenhouses with the University of California Davis. We bought the land from the university and entered into a partnership with them to collaborate on research and development and staff training sort of training of um, graduates and, and getting them involved into our into our organization. So we're really we see a very bright future ahead there. They're one of the most prestigious and well-known agricultural universities in the world. So so that's really cool. And we're continuing to do work with the University of Arizona, Ohio State, Cornell, and others. So and I know a lot many of our peers are as well. So yeah. really happy to see that. And I think that's going to be very key. One of the things you talked about was Gotham Green's mission, Raj, and and I I can see from the the jobs you felt previously and the, the the things that were attractive to you in terms of what you want to study and spend your time on. Can you talk a little bit about why that's important for you and and where that came from? Is that just something you've always it's been inherent in you as a child, or is that something your parents instilled in you? Where's where's that sense of of mission come come from? Yeah, I think a lot of it ties back to personal values you know, that were inculcated in, in me at, at a young age. I think professionally, I definitely came at it a little bit more from a climate change and sustainability mm-hmm. lens. Just reading about extreme drought conditions and water shortages and, and you know, that agriculture is the largest consumer of land on the planet and yeah. the largest consumer of fresh water and just all these other issues around environmental sustainability and, and just reading a lot of books early on, you know, dependence on nitrogen and, and the impacts that it has and negative impacts that it has, that is in terms of runoff, in terms of acid rain, ozone issues. And the fact that, you know, just a small percentage of all the nitrogen that we, that we apply to farms is actually making it into our food. Mm. You know, the fact that you know, over 40% of global carbon emissions are attributable to some sort of farming, livestock, clear cutting of land, grazing, you know, these types of things. And then that sort of juxtaposed with all the human health issues, right? Yeah. That, that, we, that the agricultural system is causing. I mean, we're, we're feeding billions of mouths, you know, each day, no doubt, but we're also, we're increasingly unhealthy. I mean, firstly, we have, we still have close to a billion people who are malnourished, right? And then, and then on top of that, we've got, you know, just people's, we spend more money on treating diabetes in this country than the entire USDA's annual budget, right? You know, wow. just staggering stuff, you know, and 60% of the calories that are consumed by Americans are coming from highly processed foods, right? So, you know, how we produce food, how we feed ourselves is just such a significant part of the climate crisis, such a significant part of public health issues that I was really excited and inspired to be part of the solution 
I don't believe indoor farming is just this silver bullet, right? That can solve all these complex um, issues, but it certainly can address some of them at least. And then, you know, it was after writing the initial business plan that then I started getting exposed to other issues around food justice, food security, Mm. food access, you know, the correlation between these high diet related diseases to poverty and, and how it's so centered around many urban areas where there's just a lack of fresh fruit and vegetables. And then I started getting exposed more to just issues that are city space, you know, issues of stormwater runoff, the urban yeah. heat island effect and all these other things. So, you know, started to look at it really from a 360 degree view and see that just with our modest sort of greenhouse, we can be really creating positive change and inspiring others to create positive change. So that, yeah, that just really started to make its way into our business plan, our, our ethos, our culture, our mission. And it's, it's just really grown from there. And recently it, it manifested into becoming a certified B corporation oh, congrats. Our conversion yeah. from, yeah, our conversion from a corporation to a public benefit corporation, which is just a really high standard of environmental, social governance and, and creating a lot of, making sure that we're really serving multiple stakeholders and not just simply shareholders. So yeah, we're really excited um, to continue, continue making a positive impact. Can you talk a little bit about your growth personally as a CEO? I, I imagine this is the first time you've had to start and grow something of the scale that's getting even bigger as, as we speak. And, and I'm wondering what that journey has been like for you. It's, it's been an amazing one. It's been a hard one. It's been a challenging one. It's been, it's been one that's, um, it's, it's been phenomenal. Like you said, I've never been a CEO before. I started the company in my 20s, or maybe I was just about 30 at the time. But, but point being is, I learned a tremendous amount about what it takes to, to be a leader. I continue to learn stuff every day. I know that there's a lot that I don't know. And I think that's really guided me well. We've brought in so many great people who have subject matter expertise and different facets of, of the business. And we would not have been able to grow the business without them. Yeah. I mean, just navigating that world of, of finance and fundraising and, and, and food safety and sales and marketing and distribution logistics, you know, every day, every month, every year has been just such a tremendous learning opportunity to, but, but it's great. You know, I really learned the business from the ground up. Mm-hmm. which I think has also served me and my partners really well that we've had to really learn along the way. So we ask a lot of questions. I think that curiosity is a really important sort of attribute or characteristic for, for strong leaders. And I think the fact that we built the business from the ground up has yeah. necessitated that sense of curiosity. And I think that's something that um, has been fantastic. And just, you know, a lot of humility along the way has also been important recognizing that so much we don't know, um, I think has also served us well. I mean, we've made so many mistakes too, right? I mean, I've, you know, just dozens and dozens of mistakes along the way, but you know, I'm a firm believer that those mistakes uh, make, you, make, make you a stronger leader and more successful going forward. How has your relationships as you've grown the company in the industry itself helped you? Or are there you know, relationships you've had with mentors that have helped you grow along the way as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But a lot, a lot of personal and professional mentors along the way, uh, friends, family, other people I've met um, just through, through the industry or broadly speaking in kind of the sustainability sector, if you will. Yeah. Other folks working in, in conservation, natural resource conservation, renewable energy, 
so I have some mentors that, that, that helped me along the way there. Other natural food entrepreneurs, that's been a really mm. cool ecosystem to be a part of is, I mean, there's been so much transformation across consumer food and beverage, right? Yeah, that I'm yeah. sure all your listeners are well aware of, um, you know, at the same time in Brooklyn, right? When the farmer's markets and the beekeeping was getting, uh, was getting cool. I mean, so was kombucha and Greek yogurt and plant-based foods and things yeah. like that. Right. Yeah. So there's just such a strong cohort of other now it's cell- cellular agriculture. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's been great to learn from other, other startup food brands as well. Yeah. And so um, for folks that are new to Gotham Greens, Viraj, can you talk a little bit about what your, your current roadmap looks like? I've been conscious of being more aware as I'm in the supermarket and I was in Whole Foods and I did see the Gotham Greens, <laughs> leafy greens and, and, the, and the pesto as well. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I have to make sure I try that in advance of my conversation <laughs> with you. So I had a, a really good experience, but you know, that's, that's an awareness that we have as consumers that, we're, that are looking for it. So I'm wondering if you could speak to what the, the current roadmap is or for Gotham Greens in, in terms of expansion and what, you know, what the plans look like for the future. Sure. So just a snapshot of where we are today. We, a decade after launching, we now have nine greenhouse facilities across six U.S. states um, and counting with, with over 400 employees. So we own and operate greenhouses in New York, Illinois, Rhode Island, Maryland, Colorado, and California. Our products are primarily leafy greens, herbs, also some um, sauces and, 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 and dressings and pestos that you mentioned, and, and they're currently available in, in almost 45 states, approximately 3,500 uh, retail stores around the country. And um, so it's one of the largest networks and one of the largest footprints of, of greenhouses and sort of indoor farming in North America. And what's really next is continuing to expand this footprint of greenhouse facilities. So we're adding a facility in Colorado um, to expand our uh, production capacity for the Mountain West region. We uh, have, have broken ground on new projects in Texas, which is outside Dallas and in Georgia, um, outside Atlanta as well as um, expanding some of our existing greenhouses in, in both Chicago and, and Providence, Rhode Island. So we're going to be doubling the size of our greenhouse capacity in less than 12 months from, from about 600,000 square feet today to uh, over 1.2 million square feet oh. um, by the end of 2022. So upon completion, that'll be then 12 high-tech greenhouses across eight states. This is just such a large market. And yeah. it's so underpenetrated by indoor farms that that we just think there's room for growth for a lot of different companies. But yeah, we're we're probably among the fastest growing and have the largest footprint. But again, we can't do this ourselves, nor do we want to do this ourselves. I, I think this is a, an industry that's going to have going to have multiple brands and multiple key players um, servicing such such a large market. And you know, given all the headwinds that the industry, the incumbent industry is facing in California and Arizona, right? So these yeah. are the open field farms. And I'm sure many of our listeners are very familiar with, with these, me- these kind of mega trends, but the water situation is not getting better. The freight and logistics situation is not getting yeah. better. Food safety is a challenge. The relying on, reliance on migrant farm workers is a challenge. So, and I think a lot of the retailers and the institutional food buyers are all pretty convinced that the future is in much more decentralized kind of indoor production. And now it's really incumbent on 
on us and our cohort peers to now rise to the occasion to meet this tremendous opportunity and actually get these facilities built and get them operating and you know produce the consistent reliable crop yields that that are expected of us right and and to do so in a financially profitable way i mean yeah. we certainly got our work cut out for us but you know i certainly see a very bright bright future ahead so speaking of your cohort of peers how happy are you to to have the the conferences coming back online and, and that ability to have those connections i know you run a, on a panel or two at interagcon and there's a, there's an event coming up in, in new york city or are those events important for you to have those conversations with peers and then see what else is happening in the space? I think so. I think so. Uh, I think they have, they certainly have value. I think it's good to get out there and, and, and meet people and see what others are up to and have good conversation. And I also just think from, from two years of, of staying at home and being quarantined, it, it's really nice to get out and see people again exchange notes and uh, just be inspired by the work that's being done by the entire sector. So, you know, it's hard to get to all the events because there's so many of them, but yeah, to get out to a couple of them a year, I think is, I think it's fantastic. A couple of questions as we wrap up, what's a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? You know, pace of growth, you know, questions around pace of growth, like how much is too much, how mm. aggressively to grow, how method yeah. to grow. I think that, that's a huge question. I think we're, you know, more, more broadly speaking in the financial markets, there's been a lot of turmoil. I think this is a capital intensive industry, right? That, yeah. that I'm sure you know, and, and yeah. you of your listeners know, right? So we can't really talk about scale without talking about capital, I think, I think in this business. And I think just over the last five or 10 years there, the investment community has been very pro growth oriented. And, you know, even if that comes at the expense of of sustainability and profitability. And we're starting to see a little bit of a shift, right? You know, capital has been cheap. Now it's getting a little bit more expensive. Yeah. We're seeing a little bit more of an emphasis on, at least certainly in the public markets, like what, what they say is more value value stocks and less on sort of growth stocks. And so I think that is something that we, we think a lot about how aggressively to grow from a financial fiduciary standpoint, but also from a operation standpoint, right? I mean, we, we have the benefit of running a decentralized sort of multi-site model for the past, um, you know, the past seven or eight years. So I think we certainly have this inherent advantage, but it's hard running a decentralized operation, right? So I think some of those questions, you know, around that have been, you know, there's no right answer, but those have been some of the more challenging ones to sort of grapple with. So in terms of what, what's coming up on, on the horizon and, and what you have, have planned, is, is there anything else you're looking forward to or, or where you go to learn more about what's happening in the industry? Or are you kind of like just heads down? <laughs> you know, you got your plate full of what you have on your roadmap. We've touched upon a lot of it. I think uh, that we really just have a lot of work cut out for us. Like I said, as an industry collectively, us and many of our peers have very you know ambitious expansion plans. We're seeing millions of square feet of, of different types of indoor facilities getting built. And, you know, I think there's a huge responsibility. We, we've garnered a lot of media attention, you know, a lot of investor attention. And now I just, again, think we need to deliver now. I think that's really, really important collectively. So I think that's our biggest focus is on execution, right? Personally, we don't really have any, I mean, we announced these new projects, right? So that's big news for us. Doubling our footprint is, is, is a huge undertaking and not one that we take lightly. We think there's a lot of room to grow within the leafy green category. So we're, we're sort of focused there right now. I know some of our peers are launching some new items, going into different categories like berries. Yeah. Um, but again, we think there's a lot of room to grow in the leafy green. So no new sort of shiny objects for us, just really putting our heads heads down and you know focusing on on execution. 
And given just the the specific nature of this audience, is there any ask you would have to to the listeners or to your colleagues or peers, anyone who might be listening to this episode? Well, please continue supporting the sector. I think it's one that can can play a really important role globally in yeah. making our food systems more resilient, more sustainable. Yeah, you can certainly do a lot by you know kind of voting with your dollars, right? So mm. spending spending money supporting the products that our sector produces, I think yeah. is also something that you can certainly help out on. But also don't be don't be afraid to ask the tough questions. I think the tough questions also make us better at what we do. You know, I think there's also an obligation for us to continue to push the envelope in terms of environmental sustainability. I think just a lot of people believe that indoor farming is just synonymous with environmental sustainability. And, and that certainly is true, but it also still would come down to the actual means and methods of, of how you're producing the food, how you're handling water, how you're handling energy use and, and things like yeah. that. So I think just to be responsible um, corporate stewards, I think it's also really uh, important to continue to push the envelope, you know, in terms of sustainability. But no, I really appreciate your audience. You know, when we started this business 10 years ago, I mean, I know podcasts may not have been around, but just indoor farming and vertical yeah. farming and controlled environment farming. I mean, it was not well known <laughs> I mean, no. you know, in personal or professional settings. You know, I would get bizarre looks from people when I told them what I was up to. It was sort of like that story you're telling about Ben. Yeah, you know, yeah, when yeah. He was leading E-Train. You're like, yeah. oh, that's this guy's nuts. Going, yeah. <laughs> and now fast forward 10, 11 years to see the fact that we're on this podcast. Yeah, it's crazy. There's others like it. There's yeah. industry conferences specifically yeah. for indoor farming. It just goes to show what a tremendous opportunity there is and how far the industry's come. So it's awesome that you have this audience. And um, it's been really fun. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Uh, well, congrats to you and the team. And I applaud you for being a, a early pioneer in the space and paving the way for, for a lot of companies who probably you know were inspired by you and the work that you've done at Gotham Greens. So thank you for taking the time to come on. GothamGreens.com, if anyone wants to learn more. Anywhere else you want to send people to connect with you or the team? Well, thanks for having me on, Harry. I really appreciate it and your audience's time. And yeah, GothamGreens.com is, is fantastic. And okay. we've got some social channels that can be accessed through, through the website. We'll make sure to include all those in, in the notes as well. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it, Rush. All the best. Thanks. Thanks again to Viraj for coming on the show. Always appreciate when my guests take an hour of their very, very busy schedules to share their story. I never take that time for granted. Full show notes are available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Special thanks to our Season 5 title sponsor, Cultivated. If you are looking into a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Yes, you know it already. Leave out that last E. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co about how a podcast can be beneficial for your marketing needs. As a reminder, if you are enjoying this show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Regular listeners can testify to the fact that I will be sure to read these out on future episodes. Tune in next week for my conversation with Max Lossell. He's the co-founder and CEO of AgVolution. Until we meet again next week, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.